This is Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool, nerdy happenings at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond. From books and concerts to search engines and story times, the library nerds are in and ready to show you that being a nerd can be cool. Get ready, get set, get nerdy. Welcome back to Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on everything cool that's happening at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond, straight out of the mouths of the people who know it best, library nerds. My name is Marty Ackett, and I'm the adult programming coordinator for Peter White Public Library. Joining me in the guest nerd chair this week for one of her last visits before she leaves the reference desk is my favorite nerd pal, Madeline Bitter. Welcome back, Madeline. Always happy to be back, Marty. You know, I'm always happy when you stop by my little fortress of solitude at the nerd pole. Now, I know you have some big changes coming in your life. You're soon going to be flying the Peter White Public Library nerd coop to go study for your Master's of Library Science, and we're all going to miss you here at Peter White. But, of course, we're also excited for you, too. Um, I, I I feel more sorry for myself than for you. So, um, And, you know, it would be sort of interesting to have you back on the podcast every once in a while to get some reports from the library science front about what you're doing. So now, before we get into talking what's irritating you, yes, that is a hint about Madeline's word for today, we have to play another game of Word on the Nerd. You know how this goes. I'm going to ask you three library nerd questions about yourself, and you have to answer them for listeners. So, Madeline, are you ready to play? Word on the Nerd. Madeline, this is going to be a little game of Would You Rather. I'm going to ask you three would you rather questions and you have to truthfully answer them. And all of these questions are sort of related to the topic you want to discuss today. So here's your first question. Would you learn art from Frida Kahlo or law from Ruth Bader Ginsburg? This one was easy. Oh, it's I easy. I'd rather learn law from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Really? Why? Now, why is it easy for you to make that choice? I guess because I think... Art style and learning how to do artistic things is very mm. personal. Mm. That's kind of a journey that I think people do on themselves, okay. by themselves the best. Okay. All right. And I think learning law would be really interesting. I've always kind of had a peripheral interest in law, so mm-hmm. we learn from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, I remember. Incredible. I remember one time you you saying that your mom and your dad were hoping you'd be like a paralegal or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, okay. So I, yeah, I, I thought, you know, Frida Kahlo, I mean, I love her work and I love her paintings and everything, but I see where you're coming from. I mean, art, just because you learn from Frida Kahlo doesn't mean you're going to become I'm not going to be as good as her. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she could teach you a whole lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, and I'm not sure if she is right now. So, <laughs> anyway, um, the second question. Would you rather have lunch with Greta Thunberg or Malala Yousafzai? Malala Yousafzai. Really? Yeah. Okay, why? 
I think because she's led a life that is so wildly different from mine, Mm -hmm. I feel like I would have a lot to learn from her. Okay. Because she didn't really have the opportunity to go to school the same way I did. She came from a world where her opinions and desires and dreams were more suppressed than I was. Okay. Than mine were. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I could have a little bit of a different perspective after a lunch with her than maybe with Greta. Yeah. Well, you sort of uh you're sort of already in line with Greta and what she's put what she's yeah. all about. So uh, with a friend to chat exactly. about how terrible the world is. Right, but, but Malala, you could actually learn some stuff and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm okay, I'm totally with you on that <laughs> one. Okay, here's your last question. Would you rather be the first woman pilot to fly solo across the Atlantic, Amelia Earhart, or the first scientist to discover radioactivity, Marie Curie. Hmm. <laughs> Neither of them had great endings, I'm telling you. No. no. So. That's what makes it hard. Yeah. I think I'd rather discover radioactivity. Why? I hate driving things. Okay. All right. All right. It really just comes So the out. idea of getting in an airplane and flying across an ocean it's by yourself. No for me. Big fat no. Okay. Yeah, I'm driving cars. Like, yeah. I, don't, I can't see myself having the guts to get in a plane. Get into a plane. Yeah. And plus, you know, well, we don't know what happened to Amelia Earhart. Yeah. That's she just sort of part. disappeared, you know? Uh-huh. So, I mean, you hear those kinds of conspiracy things like she ended up in a prison in China and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That so, was <laughs> but yeah, Marie Curie, I mean, the only, I think she is the only woman to win two Nobel Prizes. Oh, yeah. So, um, and unfortunately, because she didn't know the, side effects of radioactivity she ends up getting cancer but at least you can like track her movements though yeah. at least you can like draw a line from a to b right from like what caused her death especially nowadays with amelia Earhart, it's like she's just vanished Gone. into the mist yeah and that's really scary to me yeah yeah i like to think that amelia just kind of peaced out and decided to stop on some south sea island and live out the rest of her life yeah Making but, friends with seagulls. Eating yeah, seagulls. you know, that wouldn't be all right. Mangoes, you know. Yeah, be you cool. know it's none of my business. No. She <laughs> <laughs> had a great time. All right. Well, you know what? I would probably go. Ooh, that's a hard one for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of flying. I mean, I can drive, but flying is not my thing. So I would be Amelia Earhart with a lot of Xanax. But Marie Curie, I could definitely handle. So, all right. Um, and we have come to the end of this game of Word on the Nerd with Madeline Bitter from the Reference Desk at Peter White Public Library. Now that we have name-dropped some of the most famous women in recent history, it is time to find out what subject is making you see red today. So, Madeline, why don't you give us the word? All right, Madeline, what in the name of Susan B. Anthony would you like to talk about today? <laughs> well, we're talk about a painting. Oh, oh, a painting. So we're going to pivot a little bit. Okay. So Caravaggio painted Medusa's head in 1597 on a canvas mounted onto a circular piece of wood. And to me, I always kind of thought it looked like a shield. So I like to think of it as a shield. Um, Medusa's mouth is open, as if she's in the middle of snarling something at Perseus, um, who famously defeats her. 
Her brows are furrowed in surprise and anger, and towards the top of her head, snakes are still writhing, but mm-hmm. the ones towards her mouth are kind of hanging limp. Um, I know someone who has a Medusa tattoo on their arm. Okay. And I find Medusa to be an excellent figure yeah. to choose to be an avatar of feminine rage. Okay. That right. being, it is a force, a transformative force to collectivize and change the injustices we see around us. And when I see when I say feminine, I don't just mean people who are assigned female at birth. I kind of mean everyone who is femme adjacent, feels feminine energy in mm-hmm. them. I think y'all kind of know what I'm talking about yeah, when I say yeah, that. Yeah. Um, well, she, and she's a great symbol considering yeah. why she became the figure that she did in mythology. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. she's a very potent mythological figure. Yeah, absolutely. And she's something that has stood the test of time and whose meaning has changed the test of time mm-hmm. throughout the years. Yep. Yep. And I think that says something to her power. Okay. So today I want to talk about girls, uh, angry girls in books. Girls, yeah. Like. And I don't mean girls in the defense, like to make seem diminutive. I just saw a lot of Goodreads lists called like Angry. girls versus the void or mm-hmm. like hot girl books or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of inspired me in this subject. So I was like, yeah, this is actually like a niche of quote unquote women's lit mm-hmm. that I don't think it's talked about a lot, especially like fiction. Right. And, and there's a lot of stuff there. Well, you know, I, I mean, I can think of a few books that I've read that sort of fall under that particular you know, genre, whatever you want to call it. So um, I I can't wait to hear what you're going to be talking about. Right. Because, you know, there probably are a lot of angry girls out there who want books to read. Absolutely. So if you're feeling like you want to go totally feral, you want to scream at the moon, you want to throw rocks at the moon, you want to climb a tree, live there, then these will pair perfectly. There we go. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's let's hear what you got. Book number one is my 2021 favorite Night Bitch by mm. Rachel Yoder. Have you read this one? I have not read this one. I've heard about this one. Um, but yeah, I have not had the chance to read it yet. So It's a very distinctive cover that you can't miss. It's bright red with hands holding like a slab of meat. Madeline and I are all about book covers. Oh, we really yeah. are. Because if the book cover looks like it's coming off a Harlequin romance, we're not really interested in it. Yeah, or like those historical ones that are just like, it's the lady in old-timey clothes with her back to the viewer. Yeah, or, or okay. how about this one? The <laughs> memoirs where it's just like a black and white picture of someone's face. Yeah, yeah, not not yeah, good. Not you need really. you need something more more grabbing than that. Yeah. So. All right. Well, Night Bitch hat. I will say this. I have seen the cover of the book. It's great. It's a great cover. Yeah. Great yeah. marketing. Um. So Night Bitch is about an artist who becomes a stay-at-home mother to a toddler son, and she's married to a kind but clueless husband who's consumed by work. Driven into a state of despair and frustration due to being isolated in her house, she attempts to make art like she once did, but fails. So she's pretty much alone. Her family doesn't live in the area. She doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't have a lot of social outlets. So she's kind of a stripped of her identity as an individual. Like her whole being is put into raising this little kid. Which, that's who you are. You're a mother. You're, so there you are. She's fully inhabiting that mother thing. Mm-hmm. And she isn't happy still, even though yeah. everything around her tries telling her, like, this is what you're born for. This is what you're made for. You're doing the job. And that's what society is telling yeah. her she needs to do. She's, she should be happy. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she feels a lot of guilt 
towards mm-hmm. feeling this frustrated and sad and empty. Yeah. So, yeah, that happens. And her creative forces run dry. She can't make art anymore. Da, da, da. And then one day she has a weird encounter with a pack of dogs that show up in her lawn one day. Okay. So she has this very sniff- significant event where all these dogs, like, tackle her, but then they lick her and sniff her and, like... All, like, just all these neighborhood dogs, there's a Sheltie, there's a Lab, there's a wiener dog, but they all just kind of gang up and start licking her until she falls on the ground, and then they run away. Okay. And then she begins to experience some changes. Oh, boy. She grows lots of thick, dark hair where it used to not be. She grows <laughs> a tail. She barks when she's scared, she growls when she's mad, and she starts to crave a lot of meat. Right. <laughs> And so, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but she becomes a dog. She turns into a dog. You know, I thought you were going to say she was, like, got bit by a werewolf and becomes a werewolf or something. Later. All right. All right. About that when I was reading this book, Mm -hmm. like, last year. Mm -hmm. So she becomes a dog. She becomes Night Bitch. That's Mm -hmm. what she names herself. She is unnamed throughout the whole story. Okay. So Night Bitch is the closest name we have to the protagonist. It's so interesting, you know, considering that. I mean, her identity has sort of been stripped from her. And so the the author chooses to strip her of a name so Mm -hmm. that you don't even know what her name is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So she names herself, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So the frustration, the isolation that the protagonist feels in the first quarter of the book is like really agonizing to read. It captures the loneliness of modern parenting where staying home to raise children separates you from the village instead of bringing you into it mm-hmm. especially if you don't have a support system the husband doesn't really care about like being like he does but it's like second like his job is to go to work and mm-hmm. make money and then he just comes home as like an accessory and he travels a lot to work so he's not around very much in the first place mm-hmm. so he still kind of gets his identity and hobbies and like own personal life away from the family unit right. while she doesn't but when she turns into the dog she gets that back she actually becomes a better parent mm. because she leans more into this animalistic sense of self where she cares about her pack more right she's able to level with her toddler more and kind of gets to loosen up the human rules around things a mm-hmm. little bit it's much more instinctual and it just flows better for her and then she kind of stops becoming the dog she still has dog qualities mm-hmm. like she wags her tail when she gets excited and she still like barks at her son and stuff but she starts to make art again and then she meets this group of soccer moms at like a library book club for little kids all right and she helps <laughs> But she helps them tap into their, like, it's very much kind of like, you know, the 1960s women's lib circles, mm-hmm. like, collectivizing and sharing your stories. Yeah. It kind of gave me that same feeling. Okay. So she goes out and she uses this newfound power of herself and gives it to other people. Even if they don't necessarily turn into a dog, she helps these Do any of them turn into dogs? Oh, okay. All right. But you never know. I was going to say, is she creating her own pack? So... Seems like that. There's some parallels in the narration where it's like, you know, these other moms could be these dogs, but oh, they also could. They mm-hmm. don't have to be, but they could. Okay. So you never really know for sure. The author kind of leaves that up to you. Okay. I like to think they are the dogs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 
the book kind of ends with uh, Night Bitch being a happier, more whole person. She creates art again. She's enjoying her role as a mom and like how does her, how does her husband react to the changes that that she undergoes? So it, he, I think their relationship is pretty fraught, especially for like the first for most of the book up until the end. But I think at the end he accepts her mm, okay. and he likes that she's more inhabited in herself. Okay, she's comfortable and you know she's happy. Mm-hmm. And I think I've heard this quote before from some moms that I do know in real life where it's like kids don't need perfect moms they need happy moms yeah yeah they need moms who are content you don't yeah. have to do it perfectly but if you feel good about this what you're doing in your life that's going to have ripple effects forever mm-hmm. outward in your children and your partners and whoever they can all sense that okay so yeah well, it sounds like a great book. Oh, it's so good. And a good book for women who might feel a little stripped of yeah. anything right. at I, this point in time. I would also like new fathers to read this well, book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, even though, I mean, you, you put that moniker on it of angry, angry girl let. Yeah. I mean, these are books that anybody can enjoy. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah. because Night Bitch has been on my list of I need to read this book for a long time. I just mm-hmm. haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Yet. So, yeah, absolutely. So any guys that are listening to this, oh. you know, don't don't think that this is, oh, these books are only for women because Definitely it's not. not. It's not. And these even more so for gentlemen, too, right. or people just on the other side of that feminine spectrum. These are for you. Okay. These All are right. these are for you to look in and take a glimpse at. Yeah. And my wife says I'm a girl anyway, so um, you know, I'm totally into this. So. Yes. So okay. That's great. It's like a grown-up werewolf fable. All right. So gangly teenagers turning into werewolves mm-hmm. and like trying to grapple with that identity. This is like a more mature lady coming to terms with right. herself. It's not so as it's, violent and scary. Right. It's not teen wolf. It's mom wolf, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Totally. 100%. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay. All right. So for book number two, we have Earthlings by Sayaka Murata. Okay. So hailing from Japan, Sayaka Murata brings us a story about a woman who is convinced that she's an alien mm. and receives messages from her toy hedgehog that are transmitted from her home planet. So the main character's name is Natsuki, and she grows up knowing that she's very different and highly aware of the quote-unquote the factory, Mm -hmm. where little girls grow up to be women that must marry and then must bear children and have a successful career. And for order for this factory to go on, that has to be imprinted upon their children and forever and always. Wow. So she's highly aware of this little invisible thing called, not little, but this big overarching theme in her country of being the factory. Um. So she wishes she wishes that she could be brainwashed so she could forget that the factory exists and live normally like her peers can. Yeah. Um so she f- grows up feeling really alienated from everyone. Her family. Alienated. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 well, I I think that that's part of the metaphor though. I mean, she thinks she's an alien and she feels alienated in her life. Oh my god, I didn't even realize that till right now. Yeah. Dang. So <laughs> I haven't even read the book, so, you know. <laughs> Boom, connection. <laughs> so she tries her best to become a useful member of society by marrying a guy. Oh, and it, like, skips ahead a couple years in the future. So we start off as a kid, and then we jump ahead to when she's a grown-up. Okay. So she marries a guy who is 
pretty asexual, so they kind of, and he seems to be kind of the isolation-y type of person. I think that's called the haikikomori okay. in Japanese, so kind of isolationist bend to it. Okay. So they look more like roommates. Right. They're not warm. They're kind of friends, but it's almost like they're each other's cover. Okay. Like they both do not fit in with the overarching culture that they're born into, so mm-hmm. they take refuge in knowing each other's secret. And using that as like a shield for the outside world. So when people ask Natsuki, hey, why haven't you had any kids yet? She's like, oh, you know, I'm trying. But you know what? At least she's married and has a job and stuff. So she's ticking those two boxes. So that people, when they look at both of them, can say, oh, well, isn't that nice? They're a nice couple. Oh, too bad they don't have children. And they they don't have to like lie or anything really about stuff like that. So they're concealing each other's kind of right. real who they are yeah you know um let's see so natsuki decides that she's done with it all she's mm-hmm. done trying to be useful she's done mm-hmm. trying to fit in she's done trying to explain to her sister why she doesn't have any kids yet because she doesn't want any and so she just flees to this family home that i forgot which side of her family owns but it's a a house out in the country. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of beautiful descriptions of the Japanese countryside, which I really like. And there she recruits two people. It's her husband and somebody else. They're both men, and they kind of create this world of their own out there. Mm. And it's pretty weird. <laughs> a lot of... the Throughout the novel, she gets messages in and out from her alien planet. Through this toy hedgehog. Through this toy hedgehog. And I wish I could pronounce the name for you, but I can't. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's really but hard. I, I, I'm still, the toy hedgehog is just. So, yeah, she gets, like, this command to go out to the countryside and make a world of her own. And, you know, it's really weird. It's shocking. It's depressing. It's uncomfy. There's a lot of scary things that happen. Mm. There's instances of cannibalism. Oh. There's instances of just... Cannib- do I really want to ask who does the cannibalism? Who eats who? Everybody or? eats everybody. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, well, there's a trigger warning for people who are going to be reading <laughs> Oh, yeah, book. and I would put that probably for all of the books I'm talking about today. They're all pretty bloody in any regard. Intense. Yeah, Intense. they are. They're, okay. I mean, because there is... A center point of rage throughout mm-hmm. all of it. So, yeah. you know, just be aware of that. Be prepared. Um, but yeah, so eventually the authorities get called because mm. they're up to some wild things out in this country home and their okay. bubble bursts. And so, in this place where they were free to express any taboo that they wanted to do, now they're infringed upon again by their friends and family and the authorities. And I feel kind of gross when I say this, but I'm kind of sad that their bubble bursts. Mm. Like, they finally had a place, <clears throat> and even though it wasn't a great place to be themselves, like, I am, but I felt really bad for them still. Yeah. Like, they had, they were finally free from the pressure. Of, of what society is putting on them. Yeah. Gross and disgusting, I still felt. Kind of sad. Uh, it's so interesting because I mean, I, so they break break away from society and social norms and mores and things like that. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, of course, eventually, when whenever that happens in a book, somehow society always comes in and screws things up. Yeah. But if they're practicing cannibalism and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's why I feel really gross when I say when you that. say that that you're like, like oh, no, it's so sad. Shouldn't be feeling like that, but like when you read the first half of the book before they go off to the home, it is so crushing, and it mm. backs you into a corner, and they finally get free of that. Right. But you know, like at what cost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. You know, it's not a book for everybody. It will disturb. It might make you laugh. It made me laugh because there's something wrong with me. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, it would probably make me laugh because <laughs> Madeline knows there's something wrong with me as well. So, yeah. You know, uh, the book says a lot about sovereignty and mm. liberation, even, you know, at devastating costs and scary things happening mm. for that. But it's so unrelenting strange and unabashedly weird in itself that I think that's why I liked it. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you want crazy? Oh, I will give you crazy. And then you can't look away. So, so one of the questions that I have is since it's written by a Japanese writer, mm-hmm. I mean, is the culture in Japan more patriarchal or matriarchal or does Definitely it? Do... patriarchal. Okay. So, so, okay. A lot of parallels between, you know, here and there. Okay. So I think we have a lot to learn from each other and writers from that part of the world. All right. All right. So now we've got a wolf mom. Wolf mom. We've got an alien mom. Yeah. Okay. Do we have anything else? Uh, So we have the last one, Uh which, you know, is a little bit different than the first two. So I just want to clarify, I don't know if I would necessarily call this an angry girl book, but it was a woman who was really angry writing it. Mm. So I was like, you know, we'll put it on the list because it is quite powerful. And I just really like this book and I want to talk about it. All right. That's fine. And that's Almanac of the Dead by Leslie Mormon Silco. Oh, I love Silco. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) I like a lot of this. And I had to read this book for an eco-literature class. Yeah, that makes sense. And... I'll be the first to say that this is a long and confusing read. There's a lot in this mm-hmm. book. There's tons of characters. There's tons of locations, a lot of layered narrative stuff. Everything connects with everything else. Mm. This is a book that people have based their PhDs on. Okay. So, like, you could read How this long book. is this book? It's like 700 pages. Okay, so it's a it's big a book. One. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'll get into why it's Angry Girl, but okay. in a second. All right. So it's told in six parts, and it goes by location. It's United States, Mexico, Africa, the Americas, the fifth world, and then the last one is One World, Many Tribes. And in each part, there are lots of characters introduced in new scenarios, but some characters come back in other parts, kind of with their same um, plot lines in those later parts when they connect with other people. Um, All sections have to deal with impending war and violence, Mm. and there's always a lot of tension Mm. in the the tone of the writing. Like, everything feels like it's on, like it's about to explode. Like, the dynamite wick is getting very, very short. Um, Maps also play a huge part in the story. uh, Silco does a great job of mapping out, like, actual scenes of physical violence in their Mm. character's geographical space. And I think that's why she chooses to plan out her books in terms of like location, like the Americas, Mexico, da, 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 mm-hmm. and it's kind of like mapping out of where how this violence rippled out across history and into mundane human behaviors. Yeah. So it's not just about like 
white colonialism. It's about how people betray each other on both sides of the line, on all fronts, (laughs) and kind of how that idea of like mass genocide was introduced and how that had a ripple effect outwards. Mm. And something that I found very striking in the book was how angry she like just the writing is Mm -hmm. you can feel it if you hold your hand above the page you can feel that vibration Mm -hmm. and that i think is very powerful because there is so much fury at present in past historical events at situations at injustice that it is for that reason i would recommend it to people because it is such a stark outlining of well, all sorts of atrocities. Yeah, and, and you know, and Silco is coming from, one, she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Two, she's also Native American. Yeah. So, I mean, she has a layer and layer layers mm-hmm. of that kind of anger that would is totally justified and understandable. Yeah, and so. a lot of the scenarios in the book are intersectional. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different people experiencing violence in different ways. Right. Which adds more to the book and I think makes it a very well fleshed out study in rage and violence. So it's a study, it's not fiction then? It, it, it's not <laughs> fiction. It is fiction but it's based on like historical events but then there's also a lot of magical realism in there. Oh, see and I love that. Too, oh yeah so, so that if you like that I would highly recommend this too. It's like magical realism apocalypse but like apocalypse in the way that's like just the wheel turning. Mm. And things will end, but new things will come. So it's not like super doom and gloom, but it is at the same time. <laughs> at the same time, it does have that yeah. sort of, you know, yeah. it's um, let's call it a warning then, yeah. more than anything else. Sort yeah. of like, sort of like The Handmaid's Tale might be a warning of things that could happen uh-huh. if certain things happen. You I, know, I saw this somewhere in someone's academic paper. I wish I could credit them, but someone compared it to a codex. Mm. Like this book is a codex for present and future things oh you know and that totally makes sense yeah that absolutely makes sense that's kind of how i think about it is that it's predicting but in a way that it's layered and you have to learn how to read if this happens then this happens and this yeah yeah. kaleidoscopic yeah so okay it's a stunner i really like it okay and that and so it's leslie marmon silco and what's the title again almanac of the dead almanac of the dead so we got a wolf mother We've got an alien mother, and then we've got a really angry, what what would you say, dead mother? <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's like a spider grandma in there somewhere. Oh, spider mother. So, so sp- spider abuela. Okay, <laughs> spider abuela. There you go. All right. So lots of really good books to for anybody that, you know, might be feeling the need to somehow read about feminine anger and everything like that and and again remember that these books even though we we are categorizing them as angry girl lit that that doesn't mean that they're just for girls no they're for everybody they're for everybody to read (laughs) okay all right so that's the word on angry girl slash anybody who's angry lit from madeline bitter reference librarian here at peter white public library but before we let you step away from the library nerd mike madeline we have to find out what other book has gotten your blood boiling recently so madeline what title would you recommend people pick up off the shelf madeline do you have another angry girl lit book to recommend or something else 
Okay. Okay. Answer, so we got two. All right. Okay. So for another Angry Girl book, if you're hankering for more, there's The Vegetarian by Han King. Okay. Lordy Lord. If you love the blood and guts, you're going to love The Vegetarian. <laughs> If you're vegan, I would highly recommend this, actually. Wait, (laughs) if you love the blood and guts, you're going to read The Vegetarian. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. That seems like an anachronism there, you know? So, okay. So, that's good. That's another, I think, Han King is from South Korea. South Korea. Okay. I think that's, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, if you're a fan of a lot of, like, feminist works from South Korea and Japan mm-hmm. lately. I think that would be a recommendation for you. Okay. And then for my non-girl rage, I have Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kwai Strong Washburn. Okay. I haven't finished reading it yet. I'm kind of in like the last third, but it's written by a Hawaiian gentleman mm-hmm. and a lot of it takes place on the islands of Hawaii and it's about a family who has a special son brother who has special powers kind of akin to christ-like stuff he can bring people back to life and there's a lot of interesting ideas about what it means to be a savior Mm. in that story okay and how much he struggles underneath the weight of all these expectations of helping bring people back to life and healing the islands Mm. and bringing justice back and love back okay and also what it's like to be a sibling to someone like that right yeah. So I think if you're interested in like kind of Bible adjacent literature, you might like this, even though it is Hawaiian. So it's not necessarily the same. I think it's still. Well, it's got the connects. whole thing about savior and what what a person who is categorized as a savior mm-hmm. would have to go through and deal with. Yeah. So interesting. What was the title again? Sharks in the Time of Saviors. All right. Sharks in the Time of Saviors. So, all right. There you have it, fellow library nerds. Madeline Bitter's recommendations of books that you should go to the library and pick up off the shelf. And we have reached the end of this episode of Library Nerds with Words. I want to thank my angry girl specialist, Madeline Bitter, from the reference desk at Peter White Public Library for stopping by one last time before her departure for grad school. Maybe we can squeeze in, squeeze you in for one last episode before you leave, Madeline, before in August. So we'll see. But come back next week when the guest library nerd will be Stephanie Garn from the reference desk. It will be a crime if you miss this episode. Yes. That is a clue as to what Steph will be talking about. Until that time, everyone, stay nerdy. Thank you for listening to Library Nerds with Words, Peter White Public Library's weekly podcast, giving you the word on what's cool at the library. The theme for the podcast is Happy Clappy by John Bartman, used courtesy of Pixabay. This episode was written and produced by Martin Ackett's and sponsored by Peter White Public Library. Until next week, pick up a good book, listen to some good music, watch a good movie, attend a great event, and remember, library nerds are the coolest people around.